Welcome to Health Currents Radio. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, your host. This show is all about transforming your life through your health. We're going to meet people who've done that, give you the resources to work on it, and share information that inspires and motivates you to make positive changes in your life. My passion is health, and it's what I've done for over 30 years. Thank you to our sponsor, Pearl Natural Health, a naturopathic acupuncture and Chinese medicine clinic located in downtown Portland, Oregon. You can find Pearl Natural Health at pearlnaturalhealth.com. Today, we are rejoining our conversation with David Gould on GMOs and its impact on the consumer. David Gould is a food and biological scientist by training from MIT, who for the past 20 years has been a global expert in food sustainability systems, working in international policy and standards for food systems, sustainable development, especially organic, fair trade, and non-GMO. So we're back with David Gould, and we're going to talk today about genetically modified organisms, but we're going to talk about it, how it affects us. What kinds of foods are we eating? Are we eating genetically modified organisms without us knowing it? What's going on with labeling in the country? So David, I'd like to welcome you back to Health Currents. Thanks. Good to be here again. And I'd like to start with asking you, what are the most common foods that may be JMO without us knowing it? So without us knowing it, I guess it's, a, you know, it's, it's known which foods are commercialized, but a lot of the general public is not necessarily aware. Uh, soybeans, corn, and as maybe people know, derivatives of soybeans and corns are all over the food stream. There's all kinds of sub-ingredients that are made from them. Such as? Well, there's corn starch, there's uh, corn syrup, there's things like tofu or soy protein isolate. A lot of, a lot of fake meats come from soy protein right. that's isolated. Um, there's uh, soy lecithin. Um, these are very uh, uh, useful foods. Um, so canola also is largely genetically engineered. Most of the sugar beets in this country now are genetically engineered. So where are people eating sugar beets? Well, it's, it's, it comes as refined. The sugar that you eat is either cane sugar or beet sugar. And so the sugar, you know, a lot of the, it's, it's highly refined by the time you're eating it. So such things as like sucanat, Demeter. Well, sucanat is made from cane. Okay. So, so that's, not a, that's not a problem. So if you see it says refined cane sugar, then you're okay. That's right. Okay, but if you see sugar, what will that likely Well, you be? don't know if that's beet sugar or cane sugar. So there. we're really bringing up we don't know sometimes what's what. That's correct. And there's, and there's no labeling that says in this country that says you must label that, that your food contains GMOs. In other countries, there are GMO labeling laws. In the European Union, there is. In Brazil, there is. In several other countries. So you mentioned soy, corn, canola, sugar beets. Uh, there are zucchini, which are genetically engineered. Um, the, most of the Hawaiian papaya is genetically engineered. Um, there are some strains in, um, in China of rice that are starting to be genetically yes. engineered. Um, they're not here yet. Mm -hmm. um, there, are ex there is experimentation by the biotech company in just about every food product you can imagine. Yes, if you're active in receive all those alerts about food, which I do, you know, there's there were ones about the tomato, the potato, salmon, 
that were most recent. That's right. And those, I believe, were they thwarted or are they still moving forward? They continue to not be on the market. Um, there actually is a starch, a potato for starch, like industrial starches, I think, in allowed in Europe or they're starting to allow it in, in maybe in the UK. Um, the, the BT potato was approved but just didn't make it to market. Actually, BT, I mean, a Roundup Ready wheat has mm-hmm. been approved since 1999, but the market has never used it because uh, essentially the export market would get killed because these other right. countries don't want it, particularly the Europeans. And wheat is a huge uh, export crop. Exactly. And, and what happened was with the, with the BT corn crop, much of the export market for this country died. Interesting. So there's a big economic tie in here. Whole Foods Market announcing that they're going to label all products by 2018 is huge, isn't it? That's a game changer. How so? The way the food chain works is it operates from the top down. Right? And the supermarket says what happens and the suppliers to that supermarket follow. They call the shots. And what's even really more important is that it's the consumers who call the shots on the retailers. To give an example, one of the uh, other kinds of genetically engineered things, one of the first ones in the market was the bovine growth hormone in milk. Right. And there was a lot of uh, concern about this, and it started to become more and more controversial. More consumers became uh, concerned about it. And uh, several years ago, Walmart decided they were not going to accept any more milk that was produced with this. Well, when you have that big of a player... Say it. And they said it because consumer, their consumers were, and this is just average consumers, it finally got out into the mass public. Right. Well, so now you see very little of this anymore, and, and, and almost no fluid milk has it. Sometimes it goes into cheese and yogurt and things like that. But so that's a major market shift. So that's very reassuring to know that the consumers actually have a lot of power and potency. Ultimately, they have the most. It's a question of do they know enough to make the choice. So we get to the labeling law. Now, there was just this labeling law introduced in the Senate by Barbara Boxer and Peter De- of California and Peter DeFazio of Oregon called the Genetically Engineered Food Right to Know Act, which would require the Food and Drug Administration to clearly label uh, genetically engineered foods so that consumers can make informed choices. That's right. And, and the biotech companies really don't want this. So what do you think? <laughs> Well, they have a lot of power, and they've been able to squelch almost every uh, local, county, city, state measure so far. In California, Proposition 37, uh, which uh, several months ago was a, a major campaign, was gaining ground to have a, to have required labeling. And the biotech industry and its uh, cohorts essentially spent something like a million dollars a day for the last you know, month or so and was able to narrowly defeat the measure. There's a lot of power that consumers have. Uh, there is, and, and really what's happening is you're starting to see, as you said, um, in, I think in your previous introduction, some 30-something states have now right. have proposed for labeling laws because it's coming from the grassroots up, right? We have our federal government is very top-down, but what you, so what we're really needing is this localized, unified groundswell, mm-hmm. of outrage, essentially, that says, we want to have the choice. And the biotech companies are afraid, essentially, that if people do have the choice, they'll choose something else. And the large majority and consistently of polls that are taken is people either are, uh, are, are questioning, they don't want it, they at least feel like they should have a choice to know. Absolutely. Okay, someone's listening to the show and they say, well, I'm, I'm cool. I eat all organic food. Mm-hmm. Are they? 
Mostly, yes. And mm-hmm. I'd say that is by far the best choice. Um, the way the organic regulations work is, in this country in particular, uh, but uh, in general, is that they can't do certain practices, right? It's not a, an organic product is not a guarantee. There's absolutely no pesticide. There's absolutely no GMOs. Mm-hmm. It's I follow these practices, and therefore it's a pretty safe to conclude that they have certain characteristics. And part of that is because it's a very small percentage of the producers, right? There's this big world out there of pesticide-using or GMO-using uh, environment or world, and, and the contamination can come from without. So they use as best practices as they can to avoid contamination is it absolute? Probably not. And uh, consistently, uh, organic products do test better. Mm-hmm. But the only way you can know is if they are tested. And testing is not de rigueur, is not mandatory. Right. Uh, and certain crops are, the more GMO the crop is, percentage-wise, the greater the chance that there'll be some drift of pollen in the field or, or uh, mixing, accidental mixing post-harvest that can occur. So I'm thinking about meat, mm-hmm. um, and I'm thinking about feed, mm-hmm. and most animals commercially eat corn. Mm-hmm. So on some level, the contamination of GMO corn into animal food is higher, wouldn't it be? I mean, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, because in, in conventional feed, it is primarily corn, sometimes soy. It depends on whether you're feeding a cow or a chicken or a pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are the main meat crops. Um, and what happens is, yes, the animal does eat this, right? And then they turn into what they are. I mean, there are a lot of arguments for not eating conventionally produced meat anyway for health reasons, right. whether it was grown on. Uh, just regular conventional corn or or GMO corn, you know, cows shouldn't eat that kind of stuff anyway. Right. If they so are not the nutritional to... profile of the meat is is questionable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, the feed issue is big, and it's also even big in the in the organic world, if you will, because I can't test my organic milk or my organic beef and find the GMO because it's been digested by this other organism. Yes. But what you can do is you can evaluate the supply chain for the products that go all the way into making the final product. And you can look at their practices and what they do to exclude these GMO uh, ingredients coming in. And that's what the Non-GMO Project does, for instance. So tell us about the Non-GMO Project. So the Non-GMO Project was started essentially really by the natural foods industry because they wanted to protect themselves. And as uh, one of the... One of the um, Founding, you know, one of the founders of it who works in a commodity um, which is not normally GMO. Mm-hmm. It's not a risk crop, we would say. But what he said was, you know, people come into the natural food store or the organic or natural foods part of the supermarket because they believe certain things about organic foods. And one of the things they believe is that they don't contain GMOs. Mm-hmm. And so if people start to think that they do, we're, our business really will suffer. So there's another economic interest as well at play as well. Exactly. So they want to protect the integrity of their product, right? Yes. And and the, not only image, but really the integrity of their product as well. And so what the non-GMO project does is it, it really takes twofold approach. One is it checks for GMOs in the stream, identifies where there are risks, uh, uh, mandates actual testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at critical points to monitor, to make sure that, that the levels are not exceeding a very minimum threshold. And, uh, and that's one part. But the idea that we just keep them out is only half the battle. 
right? Because it's coming in from all sides. Right. right? So the other part is it tries to proactively build known non-GMO supply streams, right? It starts to expand them so that the available supply continues to increase rather than is continue to be encroached by the genetic pollution. So proactive approach. And there are labels. There actually are non-GMO verified labeling. Isn't exactly. There? Well, the project itself has their own label. And uh, uh, you can see it on probably the majority of organic products now right. that are in the market, when, at least in this country. Yeah. When we put up the show, I'll make sure that we put up a picture of, the, of that, what that looks like so people can look for it. If someone's really overwhelmed by this, mm-hmm. which it can be quite overwhelming since it's out there, it's pervasive, it's infiltrative, it's mm-hmm. all of that. And they want to protect themselves. Sounds like number one is they can look for this label mm-hmm. on the product, um, which says... Non-GMO project verified. Non-GMO. And, and I think it's got a, a link to the URL, and you can actually go and you right. know, find out more about the project and their site. But what other kinds of actions could people take to become more informed or to take action if they so choose? What would you suggest? The other thing really is supporting the organic food market because because there is a deliberate attempt to not use these materials and to take certain kinds of precautions uh, that they don't infiltrate the food system. So those are... Those are really good uh, basic steps to take. Um, other things that that really need to happen, as we've been saying, is mass outcry, essentially, is telling your congressmen and your senators and your other legislators that you don't want these products or that you at least want to have the choice. And that is really almost more the politically correct or politically neutral right. and politically fair approach to take. Some people may decide that they think that GMOs are good. Well, Mm -hmm. that's fine. So if they want to have it, they can have it maybe. But there needs to be a way to have a choice, not only to know that it's there, that the choice is there, but that that's a realistic choice. You know, there is this concept of coexistence, right? That some, oh, we can have the GMO crops and the organic crops or the the non-GMO conventional crops. But the reality is there is this drift of pollen and the trespasser does not pay right now. Right now what happens is the trespasser, the owner of the gene, tries to collect on the one who gets trespassed upon. Right. It's almost like, if you'll excuse the the analogy, it's almost like trading smallpox infested blankets with the Native Americans. Well, David, that analogy makes it clear that we must absolutely know what we're trading and that the public needs to continue raising its voice on GMOs and GMO labeling. David, thanks so much for being with us on Health Currents Radio. It's been very illuminating, very informative, and a a lot of value, I think, for people out there. Thanks for having me. The topic of GMOs, GMO labeling, GMO foods is a huge topic, and it has a very big impact on us, and we need to participate. It's important to know that we're not alone. For instance, on Saturday, May 25th, millions of people in 436 cities in 52 countries marched in protest against Monsanto, one of the biggest seed giants and producers of genetically engineered seeds and the pesticides used to protect them. Just last week, Target announced it will not carry genetically modified salmon, and Whole Foods has announced that all foods sold in their stores must be labeled if genetically modified foods are in the products by 2018. Vermont, Connecticut, and Maine have approved bills that would require labeling of genetically modified foods. Polls show that close to 90% of Americans support GMO labeling. Yet on May 15th, 
the House Agriculture Committee passed the King Amendment, a measure some say could take away states' rights to label GMOs. If the King Amendment survives to the final version of the Farm Bill 2013 and is passed by Congress, some say it could preempt states' rights to label GMOs. So we may be swimming upstream, but swim we must. So let's recap some of what David recommended and a few other things that people could do. I think the most important thing is to get involved. Look for actions you can take to demand labeling of all GMO foods. I think the best source for that is the Non-GMO Project, and you can find them at nongmoproject.org and go to their Take Action button. Write your congressperson or senator. Because of these, the King Amendment right now, it's really important to ask them to support labeling of GMO products. Choose organic foods and all organic food products. All organic foods sold in the U.S. must be certified to the USDA National Organic Standards, which prohibit the use of genetically modified organisms. You can look for the non-GMO project verified seal on foods and food products, and this will give you assurance that you're shopping non-GMO. Since most meat is fed commodity grain in this country, which is mostly GMO feed, look for grass-fed meat to buy. You can go to your local farmer's market and get to know your farmer. How's your farmer growing their food? How are they raising their, their animals? Are they doing it sustainably? Are they using organic farming practices? Join a farm's community-supported agriculture program, and this is a great way to receive a share of fresh local food weekly. How about growing your own and buying organic seeds? This way you can be completely assured that your food is organic, that it's non-GMO, and you get the great pleasure of harvesting it, growing it, and you can do it on your parking strip, you can do it in your backyard, you can rip up your lawn, there are lots of ways to do it. If you don't have land to do it on at your home, you can join a community garden, you can do it on your fire escape. There are just so many ways that you can get involved with growing your own food. To finish, I want to quote one of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry, the wonderful poet and writer most known for his writing and farming and our relationship to the land who wrote in his short manifesto, The Pleasures of Eating. Eaters must understand that eating takes place inescapably in the world, that it is inescapably an agricultural act, and how we eat determines, to a considerable extent, how the world is used. This is a simple way of describing a relationship that is inexpressibly complex. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ellen Goldsmith. My passion is health, and it's what I've done for over 30 years. Thank you again to our sponsor, Pearl Natural Health, a naturopathic acupuncture and Chinese medicine clinic located in downtown Portland, Oregon. You can find Pearl Natural Health at pearlnaturalhealth.com. You can listen to Health Currents Radio and connect with us on communityradio.fm slash healthcurrentsradio. Find us on iTunes Download us on the mobile app Stitcher or join in the conversation at facebook.com slash healthcurrentsradio. We want to know how you are transforming your life through your health. Special thanks to our fantastic audio engineer and producer, Jonah Gile Neufeld. <laughs>